It is a privilege to be here today. Today is a big day. It is Memorial Day weekend. And um, anybody else grow up in the military? That's how I word it because my dad was in the Navy for 26 years. And so he was in the Navy before I was born. And I was born into the Navy. We uh, lived overseas. The, uh, this is the only, well, no, we, we lived in Minnesota, I guess, too. But um, the rest of my life was lived on a beach somewhere and uh, around big ships and sailors and Marines and occasionally Army and Air Force and, and uh, National Guard, but most of the time, Navy and Marines. So I grew up with a deep, deep respect and awe for the men and women who have sacrificed for our country, and then even especially maybe for the ones who've sacrificed it all. And uh, coming full circle as a minister, the most moving funerals I've been part of are those that are military funerals. There's nothing quite like even going out to Leavenworth or some of the other uh, federal cemeteries where you, know, you see the, the graves just lined up so perfectly and all the white, and to think about that. We, we owe an incredible debt as a country. The freedom we enjoy was very expensive. So we, we honor all of you who have served and those of you who are, have lost loved ones in the military as well. God bless you. So today, we're going to continue our series on Irresistible. Last week, we talked about the fact that uh, Jesus himself fulfilled and ended religion. We talked about how, how all the religious systems, you know, they kind of had some things in common. And when Christ came onto the scene, he rearranged all those things. And I, you probably thought about this like I did. You know, I thought about sometimes if I was God, which I know is kind of, it's a stretch. But let me just say, if I was God, let's think of it like you. If you were God... How would you have come to earth to straighten things out? I mean, what would you have done? I don't think I would have done it like Christ did, like God did with Jesus. You know, he sent Jesus as a tiny, helpless, human little baby. And, and not even in luxury. And not born into money or power or anything. Think about it. What do we do when we think about changing the world or fixing things? We think about money. We think about movie stars. We think about politics. None of that. He did not, he intentionally, God did, intentionally did not do it that way. And I think part of the reason for that is kind of what we're talking about here today, because if it, if it had to do with those things, then at some level it would be up to you and you could make a difference on your own, but that's not how he did it. When he came, he fulfilled what religion demanded. The fact is religion could never get you good enough or get you to heaven. All other faiths that there are, they claw their way up and they have to be good enough but you can't be good enough. No one can be that good all the time, and, and you can't make yourself into what we're not. We needed him, and he fulfilled all of that. He came and changed everything. Remember, we talked about how all religions have these things in common. They have sacred places, things that are places that are holy or places where, where great events happened, and they become holy because of that. And and there are really special places, and I'm not saying that there aren't places you go that are spiritual. I mean, we pray in this room because... This is special, but the room itself isn't holier than you are. You're, you are more holy than the room, but all these religions, they also had the sacred texts, which a lot of times only the sacred people could read. Theo and I were watching a movie yesterday, and they were doing a funeral, and it was all in Latin, and it reminded me that, that there were times in, in church history where the people weren't even allowed to own the Bible in their own language. That's not how God intended it. But what had happened when you put it in Latin and it's a language that only the elite 
can understand, then you have to trust them that those sacred people, those elite people with those sacred texts are going to tell you what it means. And the problem is when you don't have direct access to God and they're the one you have to go through, then you have to trust that they're going to tell you the truth. And then that creates a little bit of power and fear involved. And man is fallible. And man sometimes wants to exert pressure and do things that aren't quite what God intended. And at times, the followers of those men do things they think in the name of God that turn out not to be in the name of God at all. And when Jesus came and they tested him and they said, what are the greatest commandments? And remember, we talked about the fact that there was over 600 additions to the Ten Commandments just to make sure you would follow the Ten Commandments. Let me give you an example, because I know some people are like, well, how in the world could you come up with 600 commandments to, to say, love your neighbor? Well, get this. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor the Sabbath, right? So that that meant to them, they defined it down as doing no work. So then they had to define what's work, because work to one person isn't work to another person, right? So here's what they said. Work involves travel. Travel could be like work. So they were, they were not allowed to travel more than one mile a day on the Sabbath, But let's say you're on a long trip. What are you going to do? You could set up a temporary fake shelter, then tear it down and then travel another mile. Then put it up, take it down, travel another mile. Do you see how silly it gets? Because they totally missed the heart of 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 the rule in the first place. And what Jesus said is, he said, it's not about following all these little rules. Instead, it's about about loving your neighbor and loving God. And as you love God, the way you love God is going to show in the way you love your neighbor. He said the most important commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is just like it. And also with the promise, and that is to honor your mother and father so that your life will be long on the earth. He just boiled it down to two commandments. Remember, we also talked about how the word church that we use as church isn't actually what Christ intended because church implies a holy place. But he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about a people, the people in the building. The people are what make the building special, not the building itself. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up because, of course, we like special things. And, you know, I'm sure all of your houses are nice and you live in there. But but the home isn't really the building, the house, is it right? Home is where you are, where your people are, where your family is. And that's what this is. I love that we were doing baby dedication today because it, it really shows in a, in a physical way how we are supposed to be one body, one family, one community of Christians supporting and praying for and maybe even holding accountable. And not that we're going to, like I said, raise their children for them, but we are going to be there and there's going to be times where we're going to help them and pick them up when they stumble and, and maybe even correct them as awkward as that can be. But that's what a family does. That's what a community is meant to be. And Jesus said that his community, his people, which got the word got switched around to church, is going to march on. But the building doesn't move. We do. That's how it works. That's what he intended. And when he came, he fulfilled, fulfilled all of that. The thing is that religion has these rules and standards which nobody could possibly live up to. It's impossible. I love Pastor Doobie. He would say sometimes, there are two ways to heaven. One of them, you just follow all the rules. (laughs) But nobody can do that. So yeah, that's a way, but you can't get there that way. You need Christ to come. And the fact is, Jesus' rules were totally different. He gave a standard that, that again, was higher. I think a lot of times we, we want rules because then we try to find ways around them. 
Like, remember when Peter came to Jesus and he said, how many times do I have to forgive my neighbor? Seven times? And see, Peter thought he was doing a good thing saying seven because the Jewish law, I think, only required like three. So he figured I'll double it and add one. How many, how many times have you forgiven your wife? I mean, is it seven? You feel like you're doing good because it's seven? And Jesus said, it's not about that. It's about, not about the number. He said, no, it's seven times 70, which, you know, he, again, he wasn't talking about 490 either. What he was talking about is it's unlimited. It never ends. Forgiveness is something you do all the time, not this many times. When pressed and people would come to him and say, well, do I have to just go one mile? Because back then under Roman occupation, the Romans were allowed to ask you to carry or tell you to carry their stuff, whatever it was. It could could be anything. It could be bags. It could be furniture. It could be their armor. It didn't matter. But because you were a subject of Rome, they could just ask you to carry it for a mile. When's the last time you walked a mile with anything? You know what I mean? I mean, some of you probably run and exercise. That's great. But but walking a mile is kind of a big deal, even though they walked everywhere. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't just go the mile. Go to. It's beyond that. It's taking whatever you're required to do and going beyond it. There's no end. There's no measure. It's not like that. You know, people look for limits. I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, Pastor Dennis, how far could I go on a date? What are, what are you looking for there? You really want me to give you a line not to cross? And then you're going to try to get as close to it as possible and not cross it? But we do that with our lives all the time. How far can I go on my taxes and not be cheating? How far can I go on, you, you fill in the blank. We all do that. And the problem with that is, is if all you're doing is trying to find lines not to cross, then you're not really living in the fullness of Christ. You're not living in, in, the, in the reality of what he intended for all of us. He had a brand new way of looking at things that extended way, way, way beyond that. Religion required that you go to the sacred place and pacify God. But Jesus changed all that around. He didn't wait for you to go to the sacred place. He came to you. Religions back then were usually city and state specific. That's why there were so many. I mean, usually it could be like, and Judaism, of course, was associated with with the Jews and Israel, but it went way beyond that. And some people, they had gods for every people group, and then you would even have family gods. Do you remember that whole story of, of Jacob and Rachel and how she took the family gods and her, her dad followed and tried to find them? That's how it was. It was all specific to whoever you were. The sad thing is they thought they had their own gods, but really their gods owned them. It wasn't about real love and real relationship. It was about what these gods required and how they, how they served them. But Jesus changed all that. In fact, he literally sent his followers out from the sacred place and said, I want you to leave Jerusalem and go spread this everywhere. It's no longer about this sacred place, Jerusalem, and the God that stays in Jerusalem. Take him everywhere. That's why it was so offensive when Jesus said, you see this temple as beautiful as it is? It will be destroyed, and in three days, I'm going to raise it up again. And the Jews were all confused, and they, they thought it was blasphemy, but then they were all confused, and they thought... There's no way he can destroy this. Plus, it took Herod 40 years to build it. What is he talking about? He's out of his mind. They totally missed what he was saying. And sadly, in 70 AD, that building was completely destroyed. But the true Christians and the reality of Christianity was already spread and spreading everywhere by that point anyway. It wasn't about that building. And the building, the temple that was repaired in three days was his body. 
And then our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, not some building that took 40 years to build and is beautiful. Had nothing to do with any of that. It was all way, way, way beyond that. Think about it this way. We said this last week, and this thought still just... Haunt, haunt me is not the right word, because that sounds like ghosts and weirdness, but it just, it just stays with me, and I, I think about it a lot it's, since we've been in this series, and I think about the fact that no matter where I go, it could be what I would assume is the holiest place ever, and the person standing next to me is holier, because God's in them. The person, it's not the pew, it's the person next to you that is sacred. That just, that's the way it should be, and that's how it is. Think about this. This is Pentecost Sunday. A lot of people don't realize, you know, Pentecost was 50 days after what we would call Easter. I mean, for them, it would have been Passover. It was literally 50 days. That's where you get the Pente, and it's Pentecost, and it was another festival. And that's why people were in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell that day. They thought they were there for a festival and a feast. And what does God do with that? He turns it all upside down, and he gives the church the Holy Spirit, which we know empowers us for witness and many other things and encouragement. And you heard God speak to us today through the Holy Spirit. But they thought it was going to be a feast, and he takes that and turns it into something else, something amazing. The problem is that religion, no matter how much you try, it, it still hangs on. It, whereas humans, we get into habits, and we start to attach things to it that aren't, aren't really supposed to be that way. And as the Gentiles, the non-Jews, kind of flocked to Christianity, you realize that the early Christians were all Jews. It was a Jewish religion, and I don't mean Jewish in the sense that it had Judaism in it. It was Jews. And for them, it got to be kind of awkward and difficult. I mean, they had all these non-Jews coming in, and they felt like they were being sacrilegious with this new way of celebrating God, and they weren't sure which parts to lose and which parts to keep. And it got to be really confusing. And so they started to tell some of these new Christians who were not Jews that you're going to need to add some Jewishness to this for it to be real Christianity. And you can kind of understand that. I mean, it's what they've done their whole life. I mean, some of the way they dress, some of their habits. And it really comes down to this, that our, our consciences can be confused. Think about this. I want you to put behavior and things into three categories. This first category is the one we should all agree on, and those are real biblical mandates. What does the Bible actually say? What are we supposed to do? We in the Sons of God, one of our, one of our themes since the beginning is all the gospel. That, that's not what AG meant, but, you know, they played with the little, the little letters there. So some of the old symbols you'll see, it says Assembly of God, AG, and then underneath all the gospel. Because we believe it's in the Bible, we need to do it. But with that, you need to determine which of those things in the Bible were cultural things, culturally relevant things, like maybe the way they dressed or some of the habits or whatever. Some of those things were cultural and not necessarily what God said you had to do. But then it goes another step further, and we have our own personal convictions, which can vary from person to person. Am I right about that? I was introducing my kids to somebody I know. He's actually younger than me, and I introduced him by his first name, and he corrected me, and he goes, no, I'm going to just use a different name because, anyway, he said, no, that's Mr. Smith. And I almost laughed. But that's the world I grew up in. Remember I mentioned the military family? I knew, my parents never did this, but I had friends who had to call their father by his title. I had friends who would come in the house and just like, just like uh, uh, well, anyway, they'd come in and they'd say commander or Mr. or sir to their father which we didn't do that. We called him dad. 
I mean, we, it was a different relationship, but it's also a different time. And I respected that person, and I told my kids to call that person Mr. Smith, but that is a personal conviction. It's not really even cultural today, and it's certainly not a biblical mandate. Do you see the difference? Well, here's where religion creeps in is when we start to confuse those things, and we start to miss what's really just culture or, or what's actually a biblical mandate, and we get even sometimes some people put their personal convictions in there. Let me give you, I've mentioned this one time before maybe, but when, when I was a youth pastor, uh, probably been in youth, well, was, I was new in youth ministry really, and we were meeting in my home church, and um, our church, we sold our church and we were building somewhere else out of town, but we sold our church to a Pentecostal holiness group, and we shared the building for, I don't remember, like six months or something, and our youth group had grown, so we did the youth service in the main auditorium, and so... Um, you know, we would be there. I had my office still there, and, and I dressed like a youth pastor. Now, Pastor Jeremy's our youth pastor, and he looks really nice all the time. I mean, he's, he's a really stylish dude, but, you know, you got to understand, I was in San Diego, and there'd be often where I'd be wearing shorts or, um, you know, a t-shirt or something. Not on, not on a Sunday, but certainly at youth service, wouldn't you think? So as, as, as it happened one night, I'd, I'd left on a Wednesday night after youth service, and then I forgot something, so I drove back over real quick, and as I was running up to the... Uh, to the church, um, one of the girls from their youth group, you know, the long dresses all the way down, the hair way up, a lot of makeup though, but still, anyway, big hair, and, uh, and as she was walking in, I'm like, what's going on? Are you guys having like a prayer meeting or something? She goes, kind of. You know, and the, the, their youth were, it was tough for them because they could see our youth were having fun and we were doing all this stuff, and for them it was kind of starchy and whatever, but she goes, she goes, kind of. I go, well, what do you, I mean, what do you mean? She goes, oh, they're cleansing I said, oh, cleansing it from what? She goes, from you. <laughs> I said, what? Wait, from me? What do you mean? You mean because you, you guys are going to have service like Sunday morning? She goes, no, from you. <laughs> and she just, she goes, look at you. She goes, you got tennis shoes on, shorts, you know, T-shirt, you got long hair. You know, she went through the whole list, you know. She goes, the temple has to be cleansed or else, you know, and she was using the, the quote, air quotes and all that. She goes, temple has to be cleansed or else we can't have service and the Holy Spirit won't move if, you know, if, if, if you're still, your spirit is still left in there or whatever. I thought, wow, I just, my head was kind of spinning. And I was respectful. I, my office was actually off the balcony. So, but I, I, you know, I could go up the back way and, you know, I didn't have to bother them or anything. I tried hard not to let them see me because I wasn't trying to offend them at all. But it really made me think, man, I didn't realize, wow, okay, all right. But you can see how some of that stuff creeps into the church. Those aren't biblical mandates, but they are very cultural for them, and obviously personal convictions that were different than ours. But that happens. So the early Christians, the Jews, they tried to assimilate their Jewish religion into what Jesus had started. And the problem was that as you do that, you change what the gospel is about. You change it. So enter the Apostle Paul. He is an amazing character in Scripture. Those of you who know the Bible, you know that he wrote more books in the Bible than any other person. He... Uh, He's an interesting character, too, because he started out as Saul, and then his name was changed to Paul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As he said it, you know, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was trained under a leading Pharisee. And you have to understand that these Pharisees, their educational level was far, far, far beyond ours. Used to be, as a youth pastor, again, I would sit uh, every, every year at the schools in L.A., we would go and do these classes for, for um, this cultural history deal, and it would be me, a Catholic priest, and a Jewish rabbi. And it was always so intimidating because these two guys, you know, have multiple doctorates and they're just brilliant. 
This is Paul. He could probably quote most of, most of the first five books of the, New Te- or the Old Testament. Very, very educated man. Great in debate, great in arguing. And he becomes a Christian. And he knows the difference. And he recognizes the danger of adding these things back into Christianity that weren't intended to be there. And it gets very complicated because for some of these things that the Jews wanted to add back in, it actually involved surgery. I, I didn't really want to get it into that too much, but it's actually in the Bible. And so if you have people coming into Christ, now, you know, obviously circumcision is not something we talk about in the, in the Protestant modern church today. But if you can imagine back in that day as a Jewish baby, that's done, you know, on the eighth day. But you're asking an adult who's converted to Christianity to have surgery? So Paul stands up against this, and he says, blending this dilutes the power of the gospel. And people needed to hear this because the truth is, you don't need to add anything to Christ's sacrifice. His sacrifice is enough, is completely, completely enough. When I first went to college, I went to a Cal Poly Pomona. It's a, it was a, uh, it's a state school in California, and um, meeting Christians and finding Christians. I remember finding this one Christian friend of mine, and we shared a lot, and we would talk about Christ and our relationship with Christ. And I remember one day, he invited me to his church. I went to his church, and they didn't have any music. They just sang a cappella. I thought, well, that's cool, if you can sing, <laughs> you know. And everybody seemed to be able to sing, and in their hymn books, they actually had the notes for, you know, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. And then um, later, somebody was talking to me, and they just asked me straight up, you've been baptized? I said, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're like, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? I said, yeah. In our church? <laughs> like, um, no. And they're like, oh, well, you need to be. I'm like, really? Like, yeah, you're not saved unless you've been baptized in our church. I'm like, whoa, wow, okay. I said, well, I guess I'm not saved and not coming back either. But, um, yeah, they're adding, adding things to salvation. So Paul, he writes, he starts a church in Galatia. It's a town and it's a city in Asia Minor. And then he writes a book back to them, a letter. And in this letter in chapter five, what has happened is they've let some of this stuff creep in. So I want us to read this together. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. He literally calls religion and the religious ways slavery. And he says, you've been freed. So let me just say this to you. If your Christianity doesn't feel free, you might be doing it wrong. He says here, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is then obligated to obey the whole law, all the special feasts, the special days, everything, all those 600 rules. If you're going to go that way with this, then you better go all the way. And you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await the faith, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Little wordplay there. To keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And if you think that wordplay is harsh, he keeps going. A little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in this. In the Lord, that you will take no other view that the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Because he was being persecuted by Jews. They would follow him around and try to tear down his, his cause. And in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? (laughs) <laughs> you know, when I grew up, this is sad, but it's true. People would say, what, could, what a church do you go to? And I'd tell them, go to Assembly of God. And they'd say, well, what, what kind of church is that? You know how I described it? I know this is immaturity of a kid, but I'd say, well, we don't this. We don't this. We don't. I, I hadn't got it yet. I hadn't figured out. It's not about the don'ts. It's about the do's. Why didn't I say, I, we go to the church where we love extravagantly, why didn't, I go, why didn't I say we go to the church where we give beyond what we can? Why didn't I say we go to the church where people come to Christ and find freedom and they're released from their sin? Well, it's because I was immature and I didn't get it. I was caught up in religion, the don'ts, because it's all I kind of knew as a kid. We don't, we don't serve a don't religion. Paul's telling them, don't be enslaved again under all the don'ts. Now, you got to understand, Paul didn't have a problem with circumcision. He just realized that circumcision was more a cultural thing now. It didn't save you. It didn't make you more holy. All it did was identify you as a Jew compared to other races. But that in and of itself didn't make you more Christian. You didn't have to do that to be more Christian. I mentioned I, as a kid, we lived overseas. We lived in the Philippines. And we, at one, for one year, we lived off base. And we were walking we, on an Easter Sunday. Maybe it was, no, it was Good Friday because we were getting ready to go to service at church, and uh, we, we couldn't drive out of the compound we lived in. It was packed. The crowd was packed. We didn't know what was going on. There was a huge parade, we thought. We thought, well, that's weird on Good Friday. So I remember we walked out, and, and at this time I was six, seven, six years old, seven, seven years old. So I was still short enough to kind of see. You know, you know kind of as adults, you stand at a certain level, and you can't see, but then if you, you know, I was that level. I remember walking, and I thought, oh, my gosh, it's not a parade. Saw grandma kneeling and walking on her knees. She's crawling on her knees down the street with a crucifix. Like, what is she doing? I'm horrified, and my parents are just trying to get us through the crowd, you know. And, they're, and I'm like, what? And, you know, you're getting drugged and looking, and what's going on? Then later I saw a guy being carried. He was carrying a cross. And later we found out he was going to be nailed to that cross, and he did it every year. You know why? He thought that made him closer to God. He was trying to add to Christ's sacrifice. And you don't have to. There's nothing you could add. There's not one thing you could do to to improve upon what Christ did on the cross. None of that matters anymore. It's, It's not like that. The fact is that Christ paid it all in full. There is no sin that you've committed that you have to crawl on your knees to pay penance for. When we come to Christ with our sin, and all of us sin, we come to him, and 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All. All. Every single thing. Every thought, every action, every intention, 
every bad attitude, no matter how large, how small, he pays it all. The fact is the very definition of grace is you don't deserve it and he gives it to you. And in grace, not only did he pay it all, but in grace, you don't deserve it. You couldn't deserve it. You can't earn it through surgery or any of that, through law keeping, anything. You can't justify yourself anyway. It's sad too, because if we rely just on sacred men to interpret the text, what happens a lot of times is they make their followers into hypocrites because it, they make it about things instead of the heart. And I believe that this has caused the church in a lot of cases to mistreat and offend people. And maybe you've been in church long enough that the church has offended you or maybe your parents. I'm not talking about cheap grace, though, and neither was Paul. He's not saying that there's not righteousness or not a place for it. The difference is the motivation. You can make someone act right, but you can't make them be right from the inside out. But if they love Christ and they know what his sacrifice cost him, then they're going to live differently. They're going to love differently. They're not going to have to even think about it. Remember that old book, it's uh, uh, What Would Jesus Do? You don't even have to think about it because what Jesus would do is what you want to do because it comes from within you. Jesus raised the standard far beyond rules. In Matthew 5, he says, in 528, he says, even if you look lustfully on a woman, you've committed adultery. Because some people would think, well, I can look and, and in my mind, I can do whatever as long as I don't act on it. But he said, no, it's beyond that. Because if your mind is fully given to Christ, then your mind will be regenerated too. He says, if you hate someone or dislike someone, or even call them an idiot, then you're committing murder. That takes the standard way, way, way up. But then he also pays the standard and recreates us from the inside out and helps us to live it. He wasn't joking when he said that love God, love others. It's all about that. And then Paul, in this passage we read, he reduces it down and he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. See, when you get that right, everything else changes. Our religious experience should be characterized by freedom. Not what we can't do, but what we get to do. Imagine how it would be different. If in our community, in all communities, when they thought of the church, I'm not even talking now about Crown Point, but I I do think about Crown Point every time I say church, but I'm talking about Christianity and the church. What What if we were known for... Our church attendance, would they be impressed with that? No, that's silly. Or what we wore to church? No. But what if it was about what we gave and the grace we extended to people? What if if we were known because we tipped better than anybody else at a restaurant? And we cared about the people who serve us more. What if it's like this, that, that if you ran into somebody and they found out you were a Christian, that you paid them extra for fixing your air conditioner. Wouldn't that be what Christ will want? Wouldn't it be cool if we were known for our our forgiveness and how unoffendable we were and how we didn't jump to conclusions and how we were full of peace and how we were full of joy? That would be so awesome. People don't resist the church because of our loyalty to Jesus. Most of the time they resist the church because of the way we've acted. And I, you, you've seen those bumper stickers. I remember the first time I, thought, I saw it, I thought that was clever, and I hope you, none of you have it on your car. Sorry. Christians aren't perfect. What does the rest of us say? Just forgiven. I'm like, 
ah, that's clever, but truth is we shouldn't need that sticker. We were at a church I worked at once. The board was having this big argument about whether or not they should put the name on the, church, on the, butt, on the van. <laughs> so they're like, well, what if they drive bad? You know, we don't want that associated with the church. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. What if we were the best drivers on the highway? What if we were the ones who were known for letting people cut in and we didn't get mad? Because Christ in us wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't make us feel like that or react like that. What if our loyalty to Jesus showed in everything? You realize that there was no one on earth ever holier than Jesus, and yet sinners and people outside the grace weren't offended by him. They weren't offended by you. Who was offended? Those holy church people. It wasn't the people in the world. They were the ones who came to him with open arms and pleaded with him, and they were the sinners. That's who we should be, and that's how people should respond to us. <laughs> what would it be? How would it look as in if every situation... Our question was, what does love require of me instead of what's legal? Or what can I get away with? Or who will see and think I'm a good person? Or maybe I should do this because then people will know I'm a Christian and I did it. Or what's the minimum? Or that's how it's supposed to be. You know, sometimes I think of it like this. It's almost like the difference between owners and employees in a business. Have you noticed that difference? You know, you go talk to somebody, and I see this all the time. If I'm at at a McDonald's, let's say, with a group, and you walk in, and some of the people at the counter are like, oh, geez, got to do all these people. But they don't own a business. What's the business owner saying? Awesome. What Do you realize you own this? You own Christianity? You own this church? And the way people see this church is you and on you and up to you? and about you, and a reflection of you. And it's exciting when people come in, even though they take work. You, you, people are messy. We're messy. No one expects people to walk in perfect and put together. God does all that for us. He's the one who takes it and changes us. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan. We're not going to read it and go through it. But remember that story? If you don't know the story, what happened was um, Samaritans, the Jews, hated them. It was, it was racial and historical, and they were half Jews, half not. They hadn't followed exactly Judaism, so they, they had real big issues with them. So Jesus tells a story about a man who's on his way to Jericho and he gets, he gets caught and robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And who goes by? A priest, a leader, church people. Church people go by, but they didn't want to bother with him. And there's a lot of theological and reasons for that because if they'd have touched him, they couldn't go to the temple and on and on and on. But they didn't want to be bothered. And who stops and bothers is a Samaritan. And Jesus used that to show them. And he said, who's the neighbor to this man? If you're going to love your neighbor, that's how you love. You think about it for a minute. Sometimes it actually takes more effort not to show that kind of love and care and concern for people. Have you notice that? It's almost like we've got to try to not be loving and generous and give and look at the lost. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity at first seems all about morality and rules and guilt and virtue. Yet it leads you on out of all of that and into something beyond. I remember the first time somebody told me, oh, yeah, I can't, get, I can't get with Christianity. It's all about guilt. I really didn't know what they were talking about. I said, really? What do you mean guilt? Well, they throw all this stuff on you, and they say you've sinned, and this, and this, and this. I'm like, well, you never did that stuff? Well, yeah, yeah, but I don't have to feel bad about it. I said, I don't. I don't either. And they're like, what do you mean? Because that's the point of Christianity. God forgives us of all that. He takes all that away. I don't feel any guilt. There isn't any guilt. You have guilt. I was telling him, you're the one with guilt. You're the one bringing this up. You, you're seeing it the wrong way around. 
The writer of Hebrews put it this way, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. So how do we make this irresistible? How does this work? What would it look like if we loved past what was expected of us? If we gave more? If we spent more time? If we helped others who need help walking? If we took care of orphans and widows? I want you to shut your eyes for a minute, everybody in the room. And if the worship team could come up. With your eyes closed for a second, I just want to ask you a couple more questions. What if we were to give of ourselves, meaning that we would serve and give beyond personal comfort? What if, what if it meant our convenience wasn't more important than other people and we would actually go the extra mile? What if our focus wasn't necessarily on our bank account, meaning we would do without maybe excess, but do without so others would have. Now, who does this extend to? Jesus' story, talking about the neighbors, it's everybody. Everybody you come in contact with need, whether that's spiritual or physical, certainly friends, family, but Jesus extended it even further and said it was about enemies. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a second, I would just want to ask a couple questions. First is, I'm just wondering if, if any of you in your recent past have realized that you got hung up in the rules and maybe held back instead of giving extravagantly, would that would apply to any of you? Has there been a time where you knew what love required, but you didn't feel like you had to give it because maybe they didn't deserve it or you're still angry or held something back? Anybody, does that fit anybody? I do see those hands. What I'm wondering is, we call this conviction, it's when the Holy Spirit starts to speak to our heart and remind us of things that we need to change or fix. And he can do it in a lot of ways. For some people, they feel a tightness in their chest or maybe just kind of a panicky feeling like God is speaking to you and trying to illuminate something to you. And in your heart and mind, he he might kind of communicate that to you and you know that there's something that needs to change. That maybe you've been looking at this all wrong and As hard as it is to believe, obviously you're not putting Jewish things into your religion, but you've added something else, some other requirements in addition to what Christ paid. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand for a second. I do see that hand. And here's the last thing. When we had that message in tongues and the interpretation, some of you we're feeling that God was speaking to you. And I wonder if there's someone here who maybe you, you did pray that prayer with us earlier and that was your first time. Anybody like that that you feel like, I do want to have a relationship with Christ. Never had that before, but I'd want that. Anybody here like that? I do see that hand. Anybody else? All right, if you would all stand with me. I saw that hand too, sir. What I'd like you to do is this, is um, I would love for, for Pastor Jeremy and, and then our board and wives, if you would all come down to the front, and we're going to have a time of prayer to close our service today. 
So I want to give a moment for our leaders to come down real quick. And as they're coming down, what I want to do is if you would raise your hand for any one of those reasons, if it was, if it was for you to become a Christian, and maybe you prayed that, prayed that prayer earlier, we would just like to pray with you again. If it's one of those other things, and as, as Frank had mentioned before he prayed, the Spirit of the Lord is here, and He is willing and, and wanting to heal. He's wanting to minister. And if you need prayer for any of those other things, we invite you to come down. So we're just going to take a few minutes as the worship team leads, and we're going to spend some time in prayer. So we'd like you to come if, if you had raised your hand for any of those things.